It's Dave's podcast. It's Dave's podcast. You know it's Dave's Dave's podcast, episode 26. Longfields, Spencer, Pantomime, Snow Days and Birthday Redundancy. After the long, warm autumn in Wales, it was time to look for a job. I found an advert in the Swansea Evening Post to work in a day centre in Blackpill, which was on the way to the Mumbles in Swansea. I was a bit worried about the time it would take from our Black Mountain hideaway to get into Swansea. I went for an interview around midday and it took about 45 minutes, so I thought, well, it wasn't too bad. But I had never done the trip having to get into work for nine o'clock in the morning. I had been to Mumbles a few times, but normally I was following someone. I didn't know Swansea very well. The interview was good, and I, but I was a bit surprised about the drop in salary, but I guess it was Wales. But the fact was, I no longer had a mortgage, and Pat had moved with us, so the pressure was off. I started the first week of November. The first task I was given was doing a firework display at 1.30 in the afternoon. All the service users were lined up on one side of the road, the majority in wheelchairs of various types, electrical, manual. So, across the road, Dave was setting off a selection of fireworks. Now, this may be a shock, but fireworks lose a certain element when going off in the middle of daytime. But I still got a few oohs and ahs. There was around 25 people working at Longfield's day service, but there was only two blokes, John, an extremely gay and camp man, who all the women loved, but I found him a bit over the top and unprofessional. He had a group of about five women who would hang on his every action or words. An example of this is once around the tea trolley, a woman was bending down, Oh, Tracy, name changed because I can't remember what it was. I saw right down your top. Nice bra today. Oh, John, you're so funny. Later, I confronted Tracy. I said, are you happy with that kind of behaviour? Oh, it's only John. He's harmless. OK, will you be having a laugh and telling your husband about this tonight? Oh, God, no then I don't think you're, you should have to put up with that kind of behaviour. But years later, when the manager had left and the plan was to put two managers on the floor in Longfields, he put forward his name. A lot of the old, older staff wanted me to put my hat in the ring, but I wasn't really worried about the extra, um, the extra work and responsibility. But John and his entourage had put his name forward. 
but the good thing is, in the few weeks before the interview and thereafter, John had a total gay and camp lobotomy, toning down his behaviour and becoming very professional. The other chap there was Phil, who although I didn't like some of his attitude, he was a great work colleague. We were about the same age and we were always upbeat and joking with the service users. We found items in the cupboards that had been put away years ago and rejuvenated them. We showed a projector and shone it on the white wall and we would show DVDs of Mamma Mia. Unfortunately, we only ever had time to play about an hour of the film so no one ever found out who the father was. The day I met Phil, he had been to see the police. The band, not the police. And I was saying that I was a massive fan back in the day, but I think I came across as a bit desperate. But music was our thing. I would often bring in my guitar and Phil, who had a fair voice, would sing to the clients. The rest of the staff were various ages. Some had been there for years. Longfields was a charity set up 50 years ago by the parents of children with disabilities in Swansea who had nowhere to go. There was a large house which had been given to the charity and was used as an office area and the cellar as a storage area. In the grounds they had built Longfields Day Centre in the 1980s. On the walls of the office it had photos of children but I soon recognised them as a group of service users who were now in their 50s and were still there, which will become even sadder later in this podcast. Service users were collected from their homes in four buses run by the charity. I was encouraged, encouraged to be a guide, which involved assisting, assisting the service users on with the tail lift and into the, in their wheelchairs and strapping them in the correct position, securely to prevent them from moving or tipping over. I was reluctant to volunteer at first, but once I had been running into Longfields to get there for nine o'clock, it became more problematic, especially towards Christmas time. Sometimes it would take me an hour and a half to get home. So after Christmas, I succumbed to pressure which meant that I would meet the bus on the outskirts of Swansea. This meant a different starting point each week. Uh, some were more convenient than others, but I started to go blind and everything changed. I thought I had a problem before we moved to Wales. I had had an eye test in boots. The chemist, not the footwear. I brought some bifocals, spending £300 or more. But something still wasn't right. At football once, we were playing West Ham and I had taken my auntie Betty, a lifelong Hammers fan. Anyway, we were in attack and Betty said, oh, that was a good shot. And I said, well, who, who was it? Although I had my new glasses on, I still couldn't tell. Auntie Betty, who... I'm going to say, was considerably older, said, well, sorry, why can't you see that? So I knew there was something wrong. So when we moved to Wales, I thought I would get my eyes checked out again. So I went to Specsavers in Amford. 
and as people say, I should have gone to Specsavers. They carried out various regular checks. But then the optician looked into my eyes with a bright light. She turned all the lights off in the room and carried on looking. She kept looking and looking for a good 20 minutes. Then she looked very serious. There's something not right. I'm not allowed to speculate, but I will have to send your details to Singleton Hospital. So I had a worrying few weeks thinking I maybe had a brain tumour or something, but eventually my appointment came through. After some uncomfortable eye drops and shining more bright lights into my eyes, they came to the conclusion that I had cataracts. They kept saying, oh, you're very young, but no one could really tell me why. But they advised me to stop driving until I had had an operation. I phoned work and arranged to be put on a route nearest to home, as Debbie would now have to drop me off and collect me at the end of each day. So after about five months, my eye operation came through. It was for a Saturday morning in Carmarthen Hospital. The specialist was due to do around six operations. Most of the other people were in their 70s and 20 or so years older than me. When I got there, they did a few checks, blood pressures, etc. The consultant said that he wasn't happy because of my age. He would normally only do this operation under general anaesthetic. He said he had no anaesthetist today. But I told him I would be fine. I couldn't go back to Deb and tell her that she would have to continue doing all the driving and dropping off. So when it was my turn, I was given a local anaesthetic and my eye was clamped open. It was a bit weird watching this scalpel coming towards my eye. They did my worst eye first before doing my other eye a few months later. I had an eye patch fitted, but it wasn't a cool blonde, uh, Bond villain black one. It was a clear plastic one. After a few weeks and the final test, I was given the all clear to return to driving. A few months later, as I say, I had the other eye done, and that was the end of my eye problems. Or so I thought. So when I returned to my route, I said to all the other guides, if they were all happy with the route they had, why didn't we just stick to the same one each week? So we did. I had had a falling out with one of the other drivers. He had made some racist comment and I refused to go on his bus. Or I said to management, I said, well, you can put me on the bus, but if he says it again, I will stop and walk off the bus and you will be left with a stranded bus full of service users in the middle of Swansea. He had also referred to another guide who was from the Czech Republic as that Russian. It always amazes me, the ignorance of racists. But I got little support from the management. They moved me, but he wasn't sanctioned or spoken to at all. Being high up in the mountains, we had some bad weather, certainly the first few years before global warming really kicked in. We had an allowance of snow days. 
but I would often wake up where we are, look out the window and see a few inches of snow. I would wait eagerly for a phone call saying the centre was closed and I didn't have to go in. But often, nothing. It would get to time to leave and I would have to go. I'd get nearer and nearer to Swansea and the snow would vanish. They wouldn't have any snow lower down. But one day, it was all over the news that a snowstorm was coming in in the early afternoon. And sure enough, at two o'clock, there was a total wipeout. Or whiteout. So they called the bus drivers in early. Our service users always got lined up in the correct order for loading. We set off around three o'clock. By now there was about two to three inches of settling snow on the road. We would have our set route to drop off the service users. But as we found out, certain roads were blocked due to snow. We had to turn around and go a different way. The heavy battery-operated electric wheelchairs were an absolute nightmare in ice or snow. The buses had a rear tail lift, which also this wasn't the best conditions. So if we arrived in the wrong order, I would have to unclamp one service users, move them out the way to facilitate getting the other client off the bus and onto the tail lift. Eventually, we managed to get all the service users home safe and out of the snow. But by then, it was nearly 7.30. The secretary at Longfields phoned me and said that the centre would be closed the next day. I'd better tell you a bit about the service users who came to Longfields. Spencer was my favourite. He was in an electric wheelchair, but could only move his head. He was lying on his back. He steered by moving his head from side to side, or by putting his head backwards, in which he could switch his chair on, off, or into reverse. He had very little verbalisation, but had very good comprehension and understanding. But there was one thing that he could say, and that was, fuck off. Towards the end of my time, he finally received a communication device. Unfortunately, it was American. It was operated by overriding his chair controls, so he could move around and type out messages. I was in charge of setting it up and loading popular useful questions and requests like, can I have a coffee? But one day, while doing a search, I found the sentence that said, I'm going to smoke marijuana. Spencer thought this was so funny. No matter how well I hid it in the system, he had great pleasure in running around the day centre exclaiming, I'm going to smoke marijuana. Spencer loved a sunny day. He would take him outside and sunbathe. I would try to encourage him to come in if it got really hot. I knew his mum would give me hell if her boy got sunburnt. But then Spencer knew this too. He loved his snooker and would take two weeks off for the World Championship each year. His communication caused much amusement after his birthday. Phil and I endeavoured to find out what his mum had got him for birthday. 
This involved only yes or no questions. It took us all day to ascertain that he had a box set of the sitcom Terry and June. Spencer screamed with joy when we eventually worked it out. There was also a chap there called John. He only came in one day a week. He had cerebral palsy and was confined to an electric wheelchair. He had very little verbalisation but good comprehension. He lived with his dad and his stepmother. One day he came in and he seemed very distressed. I endeavoured to find out what was up. It was definitely some kind of incident at home. Throughout the day I tried to find out more. But eventually I ascertained that he didn't really want to go home. I managed to get him a night stay in a respite home in Swansea. So before his dad arrived to collect him, I loaded him on my bus. The management dealt uh, with his dad explaining while I slipped away. We dropped John off, but the next day we called to check on him and his dad had been round and collected him. We never saw him again at Longfields. But this does have a happy ending. A few years later, there's the BBC programme DIY Big Build. They did a thing at Caswell Bay in Swansea, building a surf school. When they were filming, they were showed people who did this supported surfing, but they had to get changed in the car park. So that's why they were doing this big build. Suddenly, there was John looking happy on a surfboard. Also, a few months ago, he popped up on the BBC News. It was an article about the lack of home carers. It seemed that his dad was back with his mother. I don't know if I made any difference, but I did what I believed to be right, and I was glad to see that he seemed to be happy. The work at Longfields involved a lot of personal care. Often we would start around two o'clock and finish just before three, before loading our buses. We realised it was a difficult thing for certain surface users. Spencer certainly hated it. But we would put on music and joke and try and make it a good experience. This involved we had to use a hoist and we always needed two people to operate. Longfields changed a lot during the time I was there. When I first arrived, we had two chefs who cooked hot meals for the service users at lunchtime. Often there was some left over and the staff would be offered meals as well, which was no good for my weight. I would then be going home to Deb's cooked dinner. But soon we went down to just one cook and later on, after the takeover, we went down to just sandwiches brought in by the service users, but more of that later. I was working at this time on writing and producing a pantomime. Oh no you weren't. It was Cinderella. I tried to involve everybody in the day service. Some were doing music, some were making costumes, others were painting different signs to say which act we were on. Phil and I, of course, were going to play the Ugly Sisters. 
our Cinderella was a woman who was from an ultra-religious family, which caused a few headaches. But when she tried on this huge Wellington boot instead of a glass slipper, everyone was laughing. But I'm getting ahead of myself. It was all set to be formed just before Christmas. But unfortunately, I had an accident. I was at home. We had been out in the summer house the night before and I had a bit of, few glasses of wine, so I went to tidy them up. But closing the sliding door, it jumped off the rails and onto my foot. I dropped the glasses and screamed. By this time, Debbie was working in the local shop. She finished at nine, and by that time, my foot was twice the size. I think it was a Thursday, I believe. I, fent I sent Phil a picture of my foot, and he arranged cover for my bus the next day and he told everyone I would be off. When Deb came back from work, she took me to A&E. But while there, the police brought in a suspect. There's a small room inside Morrison Hospital for the doctors to examine and check people before they can be interviewed. They took this chap in, but two minutes later, they all rushed out, coughing and spluttering. They forgot that the suspect had been pepper sprayed in the pursuit and arrest. When they were confined to this small room, suddenly they were all affected by it. But anyway, when it was my turn, I had an x-ray and good news, my foot wasn't broken. I thought, fine, I'll rest up for the weekend, be back at work on Monday. But it was crushed. Oh my God, I've never had pain like it. I was off for about four weeks, so the pantomime was put on hold till after Christmas, when I would be back on my feet and I could put my injury behind me. It's behind you! But the pantomime went very well. I videoed the whole thing and took orders from families. I then edited and produced DVDs all at my own cost and sold them for £5. Some of the older staff members tried to put a downer on things. Oh, I spoke to Johnny's mum. She didn't think he was much involved. Oh, that's funny. The family just ordered three DVDs. Longfields also had a famous patron, Catherine Zeta-Jones. She had some links. Uh, one of her relatives originally went there. They had been on a visit a few years before uh, before I arrived when they had opened a new hydro pool, a heated pool for physio for service users. There were pictures of Catherine Zeta-Jones and Michael Douglas around the centre. But they never came while I was there. I did sit in it at an annual general meeting once. They thought it would be a good idea to have one of the service users at this meeting and for some reason they picked Spencer. So I was there as support. Part of the meeting involved revealing the income so I knew that the Douglases contributed £30,000 a year to the running to Longfields. There was some discussion about how low this was and whether they could tap them up for a bit more. 
Spencer, at this point, shouted, Fuck off! But I doubt that got into the general meeting minutes. The main thing that came out of the meeting, that they were struggling to keep going. The cost of running four old, antiquated buses and a leaking roof on the day centre. They mentioned a charity was looking at taking over them. They were based in London and called Walsingham. They were worried because the site was right on Swansea Bay and worth a fortune to redevelop. So they put a clause in to ensure that any profits went back to Swansea, but the negotiations went on for a year. But before that, we were informed that Longfields had been left a considerable sum of money. We were allowed to spend it on arts and crafts and anything that was used in the activities that uh, went on at Longfields. A lot of staff got into groups and started making lists. I asked if I could spend some money on musical instruments and a PA system. They agreed I could spend a £1,000. I had used a company before called Gear for Music. I maybe had bought a guitar or two. I set about putting an order together, an acoustic guitar, bass guitar, two amplifiers, various shakers and tambourines, as well as a PA system and microphones. I ordered everything, printed off a copy of the invoice and went into work on the Monday. It was being delivered on the Thursday. So I just handed them the invoice and said, oh, this will need paying. Sure enough, it all arrived. I was like a kid in a sweet shop. It was good also because the order was in my name on the account. When I next ordered something, probably another guitar, I'm just guessing here, it came up, uh, because of your considerable ordering, you are now considered a platinum customer and we can offer you 20% off. Happy days. When Walsingham, the London charity that finally took over, there were a few redundancies and the hydro pool was closed immediately, sacking the specialist staff. But other than that, not much changed initially. They were said they were making an assessment. We did go to an induction day, which was ever so boring. It involved them telling us about the whole management structure of the London operation. I would really hear about their anti-bullying policies. They also went on about the pay structure and I pointed out that I doubt they were going to be paying the same rates as in London and they admitted this wouldn't be the case. So finally the takeover went through in September 2010. At Christmas they tried to cut down our Christmas break. Normally we had a good week off, most service users spending time at home. But the new charity charity wanted us to come in and do some cleaning. I booked annual leave, especially on my birthday. Debbie was taking me out to lunch at Abba Crave Inn, our favourite restaurant. We were just leaving at 12 o'clock when we met the postman at the gate. Recorded delivery for David Terry. Oh, how exciting. What has someone bought me for my birthday? 
but when I opened it, it said, I'm sorry to inform you that you have been made redundant. Happy birthday. Because I had taken the day off, that was the day they chose to make the big announcement at Longfields, so they had sent me this recorded delivery, so I didn't uh, hear it from somebody else. So the whole process of being made redundant was going to run from that year until August. Unfortunately, in the May, I had trouble with my eye again. It had been a couple of years since I'd had both my cataracts operations done and I was doing okay. But I finished work this particular Thursday. By now I was only working four days a week, having Fridays off. Deb at the time was still working in the local shop till nine o'clock. But as my evening went on, I became aware of a black area moving across my right eye. It was kind of like an oil slick. Deb arrived home and I said there was something going on. We went to Morrison's hospital. When I finally saw a doctor, he looked in my eye, then went away, came back and said I had an appointment at Singleton Hospital at nine o'clock the next day and maybe to bring an overnight bag. Go home and lie very still. I had a detached retina. It was operated on there. And they fixed it by putting oil in the eye to support it while it repaired itself and then after six months this oil would be removed. The operation was horrendous. They stitched the eyeball so it was like having barbed wire across your eye. I was due to go to Wembley to see Reading in the playoff final against Swansea. But obviously because of this I couldn't go. So it wasn't all bad. But none of this worked and I now have no vision in my right eye. So I have no peripheral vision on that side. So if you want to make a gesture or hand signal, if you go to that side, you'll be fine. Also, the oil which they eventually took out of my eye, but some of it still remained. So occasionally I'll wake up in the morning, stand up, and I'll have oil running down the inside of my eyeball. It's kind of like my own lava lamp. After six weeks, I returned to work. By now, a lot of the service users had left Longfield and they were in the process of finding day service for anyone who was left. I mean, some of the people only came to Longfield's like one or two days and they returned to their family and maybe never found a day service again. So other than family trips, they would never go out in public again. But as this time went on, the number of people at Longfields diminished, which made a very relaxed attitude. Me and Phil would set up the music room and spend long days in there with all the service users. We even wrote a song, and this is how it goes.
not a great song. But the service users enjoyed shaking along with my various tambourines and platinum things from Gear from Music. As time went on, Walsingham brought in some skips to really start to tidy up Longfields. Phil and I at this time found some old, redundant, no-good acoustic guitars. We went into the car park and smashed them up on the ground. It was a bit silly, but we enjoyed it. There was also there an electric pottery wheel that had been in one of the sheds all the time I was there. I was off on a Friday, and when I returned the following week, it had been dumped in a skip. Deb was devastated when I told her. I managed to remove one of my amps, telling everyone that I had brought it from home. But Walsingham at the end said that we could buy anything we wanted, but it would go a bit like this. I would see a lovely saucepan, a huge pan, I think that might be useful at home, and say, oh, how much for this then? Thinking they would say 50p or something. They said, oh no, that's a fiver. And I thought, well, I'm, I'm not paying that. So they say, OK then, just chuck it in the skip. The last week, when all the service users had gone, they came in and they asked us to come in and do some cleaning. I refused, so I took off annual leave. I came in on the last day and we went to the West Cross Inn in Mumble, on the Mumbles Road and had a drink with everyone. There was lots of, oh, let's keep in touch, or we could meet up once a month for drinks. But it never happened. Thank goodness. So I was unemployed. But things were changing. Originally, Pat was still under Reading Shared Live Scheme. But now they decided that we really ought to move over to the local scheme, which covered West Wales, Carmarthenshire and Pembrokeshire. So we started the process of moving over. But they started it like we were first-time shared livers, so an officer would come to the house and say, what makes you think you would be good carers? And I'm thinking, because we've been doing this for around 20 years. But a bit more of this in the next episode. A small footnote here. After Longfields closed and Walsingham took over the site, they sat on it for three or four years. They then redeveloped it and put luxury houses there. But I don't expect any of the money came back to Swansea. Well, if you've enjoyed this episode, you know what you gotta do. You gotta like it, you got to share it.